0: um, on our website. Uh, we're got a blog going about our daily readings as well. And Steve always does Sunday morning. So it's fitting for Steve to read this morning. Psalm 139. I encourage you to get on our website, gbctx.org. And you can find that on there and just some reflections on the things that we're reading each day. Hopefully it's an encouragement to you and helps you think as you read the word of God as well. Um, well, this is an exciting Sunday as always. Uh, we do have baptism coming up here after I preach and our song. And, um, uh, just so you know, kids who are getting ready to dismiss the kids, there will be a song after um, I preach to give the people who are getting baptized a re- chance to get ready and also to be able to get the kids back in here so they get the chance to celebrate and witness um, baptism. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, until this past year, we'd always done baptisms off-site. Uh, at, at pools. Bizan was baptized in the Gulf. All right. And uh, that was a lot of fun that day as well. But mostly in, in pools. And then we found out that somebody had a portable baptistry. And we've been borrowing that ever since. And the reason why is because we want everybody to be here to witness and celebrate um, what the Lord's doing. And when we go someplace else, we, a lot of people just can't come for whatever reason. So we're excited to be able to do that again here this morning. Uh, so with that said, we're going to uh, dismiss our children who would like to go uh, to... Grace kids up through the fifth grade. Miss Lisa Unger's back there with the sign. Just follow the sign, and some of your leaders as are heading back that way. And I ask the rest of you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter ten, or your um, device that has a copy of God's Word on it. Uh, Turn to Acts chapter ten. And before uh, I go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless this time of our uh, time together this morning, I'm just reminded of a song um, this morning, and called "Speak, O Lord." It's kind of a song it's kind of a prayer uh, as we approach the Word of God. And, and the words are, "Speak, O Lord, as I come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth." Plant it deep within. Shape and fashion fashion us in your likeness. And then the, the second verse is, Teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your purity. Cause our faith to rise. Cause our eyes to see your majestic love and authority. Words of power that can never fail. Let their truth prevail over us. And that's my prayer this morning. Because that's what God's word would do. So Lord, we do pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word. Make us more like Jesus. Make us love you more. Make us be more amazed at your majesty and your greatness. Lord, if our hearts are not prepared already, Lord, we pray that you would prepare them. So you might be glorified through the foolishness, as Paul calls it, of the preaching of your word. We trust you with this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, this morning we're continuing our series in uh, the book of Acts. Missio Day, the mission of God. Uh, that's what the book of Acts is about. It's about the mission of God and His mission. And, and you get to see that worked out as, you wor- as we work through the book of Acts. And, uh, this morning, we're, we're going to cover, um, by God's grace, chapter 10, verses 23 through 48. We'll finish up chapter 10 this morning. And the, the title of the message this morning is, The Unlimited Reach of the Gospel. The Unlimited Reach of the Gospel. Have you ever been in a situation where you couldn't reach something you needed? You, you ever been there? You know, maybe it's that, that, that uh, on the top shelf of the pantry. It's some of you moms that have taller kids. Hey, could you get that for me? Could you get that down for me? I, I can't reach it. Or if you're a child and, and there's something you're trying to reach in the kitchen, you know exactly what to do. Get one of the chairs, right? And you drag it across the kitchen floor and you strike the paper the floor. You get on that chair and you get up there so you can reach it. It's just, it's just out of reach. And maybe there's something in your closet that you just can't reach. It's just too high. The shelves are too high. Um, maybe you've had a, a, a goal that, that you, you've, no matter what you try to do, you've never reached that goal. It just seems to be unattainable. It's unreachable. You, it's out of your reach. You get this close and you just can't get it. And that can happen in many areas of life, that things are out of reach for us. I remember going to junior high basketball camp and when I was going into the seventh grade, and it was first, seventh, and eighth graders. And they divided us up in teams, seventh, eighth graders together. And, I, and I, I don't know, I was probably five foot five at the time, five foot six maybe, going into seventh grade. Uh, um, I don't know if that's tall or short. I don't even remember. That's, that's just my, my guesstimate. But I, I faced something I'd never faced before in my age group. I had to guard a guy who was six foot ten. He was going into the eighth grade. <laughs> All right, I was going into the seventh. I had a guy that's got Mike Scott. He ended up going to play at Wake Forest University and then transfer to University of Kentucky. But I had to guard this guy, and I tell you what, if he held the ball over his hand, head. There's nothing I could. I couldn't. I mean, it would have taken more than a ladder to get that high. I could have jumped and taken a running jump, jump as much as I wanted to. I was never going to get the ball away from Mike Scott. He would just hold up there. He, you know, like the tall kid on our team was 5'10. So what? This guy was almost seven feet tall going into the eighth grade. Incredible. never. I just couldn't get it. And I had to guard him. It was crazy. And so I thought, well, I was a little. I don't know how much. I don't think I probably weighed as much as him. He's a little skinnier, and I was a little heftier than him. But I was fouling. Well, the guy made like 95% of his free throws, too, so it didn't help at all. You know, but it was just out of reach. No matter what I did, I couldn't guard Mike Scott. I couldn't ever get to the ball because he would just hold the ball over his head, and I looked like a fool trying to jump up, and I probably hit him on the chest when I was jumping um, with my hand. Well, even if I had a ladder, I maybe I would get a the ball, but that's, that's against the rules to get a ladder in basketball as far as I know. All right? And The fact is that there, there are things in life that will always be out of our reach, our reach is not unlimited. We, we can't just reach as far as we want and just keep going and keep going. You uh, we say, well, we can, we, can get to, we can get to space. Well, yeah, we can, but I mean the more and more we're finding out about space, it's way bigger than we thought. And just think about this, God holds all that in His hand. But there's things that are unreachable for us. Our, our, our reach is limited, but God's reach is limitless. I don't know if you know how good news that is. That's great news. His reach is limitless. More specifically, the reach of his gospel is not limited just to people from certain ethnic group or a socioeconomic group or certain areas of the world. His reach can reach into all those areas, places we've never seen or even thought about. God's ability to bring people into a right relationship with himself through faith in Jesus Christ has no limits. all types of people. And this is what we've been witnessing in our study of the book of Acts. This is what was promised by Jesus before he ascended to heaven to, to his apostles he was leaving behind. And we were reminded of Acts 1-8, which is the outline of the book of Acts. But You will see power and the Holy Spirit has come on. You will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. And you read that, and I can't emphasize so enough... For all of us to always keep that in mind when you're reading the book of Acts. This is the outline of the book of Acts. This is the theme of the book of Acts. And when you keep that in front of you, you won't misinterpret the book of Acts. Okay, it's very important. So we want to keep this in front of us always. But beginning in chapter 2, uh, in, with the day of Pentecost, we saw the fulfillment. Beginning of the fulfillment of this promise. of Jerusalem. People would come from all over the all over the the known world, Jews who had been scattered, had come there to celebrate this thing called Pentecost. And at Pentecost, on this particular Pentecost was the Pentecost to end all Pentecosts. Because the Holy Spirit came like Jesus promised, and he indwelt people, and they trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. It was amazing things that happened at Pentecost on that day. And then we saw it go in Judea, and they began to reach out a little bit from just in the region. From Jerusalem, and then we saw it get into Samaria, and we even saw an Ethiopian who had been traveling to Jerusalem come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now this morning we're going to see see of all people a Roman centurion. And I'm telling you, if you were even a Jewish Christian at this time when this happened, you would have all gone huh? a what? A Roman centurion is going to be a part of the kingdom of God? That's, you, you would be aghast. Maybe somebody would walk out of here because I said that or because God was going to do that. That's, that's how foreign that is to someone who has a Jewish ethnic upbringing. So this morning, as we study these verses and the rest of chapter 10, we're going to see and witness the unlimited reach of the gospel. God's going to do the unthinkable, at least again in a Jew, Jew's mind. He's going to bring a bunch of Gentiles, not just one, but a bunch of them into his kingdom without making them become a Jew first. Ah, There's another one. You can't do that. You kidding me? No, I mean, what he's has all excited about. Well, if you're Jewish, you'd be getting all excited too. I mean, first they have to become a Jew and then they can become a Christian. Hmm? That's not how God does it. And we'll see that this morning. So after I walk down through uh, this verse and explain uh, these verses and explain what's going on here. and uh, I'm going to come back at the end and, and just talk about some implications for us. And how we might apply those to our life. But let's just be reminded where we left off last week. Um, the Lord, if you remember, began to break down some prejudices in the heart of Peter. I mean, Peter was prejudiced. And as we began our time last week, we all found out we were prejudiced too. Because I showed a bunch of pictures up here, and I asked you, what do you see? And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, we made quick judgments, all of us, about who that person was and what they did and what they have done. And the thing is, none of us knew those people. Not one person. We just looked on their appearance, and we'd already made up our mind, hadn't we? Those who are here honest, right? The first guy, he's homeless, right? You don't know that. Neither did I. But we immediately assumed that. We prejudged. And Peter was prejudging things in his own life because of his background. But God began to break those things down. Especially when it came to the Gentiles. First he uses Peter to reach Jewish people with the gospel. Who lived in cities... Alright. They had become very influenced by the Gentiles economically and and, and, and just in, even just the, the environment that, that was in. These former Jewish influenced cities had become Gentile influenced. They'd become, as I made up my own word, Gentilized. Alright? They were Gentilized. And and it, everything was about the Gentiles then and, and the way that they did things. And yet God used him in these Gentilized areas to reach people with the gospel. Well, next then, we see Peter stays at the house of a tanner named Simon. Now, if you were here last week, you would know exactly what the problem is with that. A tanner deals with what? Dead animals, which made the tanner what? Unclean. Made him unclean. And here's Peter. He's staying with the guy who loves Jesus that in his thought mindset is unclean but the guy loves Jesus I can't figure this out he stays the night at this guy at the Tanner's house and God begins to break down these, these prejudices in his life to prepare him for something even greater and while he's hanging out at Simon the Tanner's house the guy loves Jesus the Lord reaches out to a man in Caesarea 30 miles away while well, this is going on and while this man's name was Cornelius, we saw him introduced last week. He was a Gentile, a Roman centurion. And the Lord gave him a vision where an angel told him that he had heard his prayers and he was going to send, he wanted him to send to this place called Joppa to get this guy named Peter who was staying at a tanner's house. And all this is just, as you say that, as I say that things, there's irony of ironies over and over again with those words and what's happening here. That he's going to send this for this Jew named Peter staying at a Tanner's house in a Gentilized area. It should just bring a smile. God has a sense of humor. And he's breaking Peter down and his prejudice down. So so here's what does what does Cornelius do? He sends his some men to get Peter. And while these men are on their way to get Peter, guess what happens with Peter? The Lord appears to him in a vision. And it's one of the most amazing visions. And in in all the Bible, what it does to Peter. What he does, he lets down this sheet full of food. I'm thinking, yeah, food. You're thinking, yeah, I'm a little hungry right now. You better hurry up. All right? So food. But it's all the food that Peter had grown up believing that if he ate, he would be unclean and it would be displeasing to God. He had some pork chops on there. Some bacon. Some pork loin. We did anything. Pork, all right, was in trouble. And the Lord says, arise and eat. And Peter says, no way, Lord. No way. First of all, it's kind of, you can't really say no way and him be Lord, right? That's kind of funny. But, um, but not funny, but it's just the irony. But the Lord does it two more. He lets it down again and actually does it three times. And the Lord says to him, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. Where's he staying when he gets this vision? At a tanner's house and God is getting ready to make this come true in his life with a bunch more people here too. While Peter's trying to figure out all this what this meant, uh, the guys that Cornelius sent, they show up at his house. All right? And, and 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 the Lord tells Peter, "Go with them. Go with these Gentiles." All right? Look at let's, look at verse 23 here. Let's pick back up. So, he invited them in and gave them lodging. Uh, which shows the work that the Lord had already done in Peter since these guys were Gentiles. That he takes, we take, say he was with his tanner, he invites the Gentiles in. And on the next day he got up and went away with them. And some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And in, in, in uh, chapter 11, just flip over there real quick with me. Look at verse 12. We're told more about uh, these people who, uh, that these brethren from Joppa. right? The Spirit told me to go with them. He's giving. He's basically he's he's telling uh, um, the believers in Jerusalem what happened. The Spirit told me to go with these them without misgiving. These six brethren also went with me, and we entered the man's house. So we're told that six guys go with him, six brothers in Christ from Joppa get up and they go with him to Caesarea. And that, that's going to be important here as we move down uh, through these verses. Now let's look at at verse 24, and we'll read down through. Verse 29. On the following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised up and Stand up, I am too just a man. As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him, and yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. And we'll stop right there. So the Lord has prepared Peter, and he's getting ready to use him to get the gospel to the Gentiles in a major way. Those who were thought to be unreachable. God's getting ready to use him. Uh, it's a pivotal point in the book of Acts. Right here. All right? First part was a lot about Peter. We had a little, little, little um, couple chapters there about Saul who will become Paul. Now Peter's back in focus and then a couple chapters later the rest of it will be about Paul. All right, So Peter, a little bit of Paul, back to Peter, and then a lot of Paul later on. But it's pivotal in, 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 because at this point almost every person in the body of Christ who had come to faith in Jesus Christ was Jewish and now all of a sudden the doors are going to open wide and you're going to see all of us come in because as far as I know we would have nobody from a Jewish descent here we might, I don't know but I'm pretty sure but all of a sudden we get to come into the church we get to be made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ isn't that good news? unreachable we were thought to be unreachable all of us pagans God didn't give our nation the law. He didn't r- reveal himself like he did to the nation of Israel to us. They were supposed to tell us about it. They forgot about that along the way. Although it was mentioned in Genesis 12 that we'd be part of the, the blessing through Abraham's descendants. A lot of them forgot about that. But now, here we see ourselves, we see our descendants come into the church. We're getting ready to re- witness here this, un- this unlimited reach of the gospel. Now look at verse the second half of verse 29. All right, So Peter comes and... He tells him why he's come, and at the end of verse 29 he says, so I asked for what reason have you sent for me? He didn't know yet. He just knew God wanted him to go to this Gentile's house. He had no idea. And maybe from the dream he thought maybe he's going to eat some pork chops or something. We don't know. He doesn't know. He's asking not why exactly. He, he obeyed God and didn't have the full picture. Did you hear that? Just like Abraham. He obeyed God and went and he didn't have the full picture of what God wanted him to do or what he was going to do with him. Peter just knew that God had told him to go. And it says he went without reservation because God said so. We can learn a lot right there, can't we? Sometimes we lack all the facts up first. And then there's no faith. And who gets the glory there? We do. So here Peter goes and he's just there. Okay, now what, exactly why have you sent for me? Peter, he's he, he, Cornelius, help me out here. Which is amazing that he's asking a Gentile, why did you send for me? But Cornelius does so. Look at the beginning of verse 30. And we'll read down through verse uh, 33. Cornelius said, Four days ago, to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard, and your alms have been remo- been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He's staying at the house of, si- of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So I want want us to see something here before we see Peter's response and, and hear the truth the Lord speaks to him. Notice the phrase there at the end of verse 33. We are all here. We are all here. To whom is he referring? Well, if you look back in verse 24, it says that now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends and then the verse 27 as he talked with him he entered and found many people assembled Cornelius was so excited about what God was going to say to him and show him that he wanted others to hear it too in fact at the end of the second half of verse 33 we are all here present before the Lord to hear all that has been, have been, you have been commanded by the Lord and what did he expect to hear What did he expect to hear? What was the content, or at least the theme of the message he expected to hear from the Lord? Now, we don't see it in this passage, but if you turn your Bibles over to chapter 11, verses 13 and 14, we see exactly what he expected to hear about this message from the Lord through Peter. Look at verse 13 and 14 of chapter 11. And again, Peter is speaking to the believers in Jerusalem. Um, and then he says this in verse thirteen, and he reported to us how he had seen the angel. And Peter, speaking of Cornelius here, standing in his house and saying, "Send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here, and he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household." He expected to hear a message of salvation. And he was so excited about this. He gets his family. He gets his friends. He gets as many people as he can. Come to my house. There's a man that's going to tell us about how we can be made right with God. Would you come with me? Would you come to my house? That's what happens. And, you, and what happens is there's a lot of people there when Peter shows up. It's not just Cornelius. It's way bigger than Peter thought. This is huge. So here they are with Peter expecting and waiting to hear from God. Let me ask you a question. Do we come to God's word corporately on Sundays expecting to hear a word from God? Did you come this morning expecting to hear a word from God? I hope so. I did. I came expecting to hear a word from God this morning. This past week... um, A good pastor friend of mine posted something on Instagram and he had no idea that I was going to be preaching on this passage and he didn't even direct it to me. He just posted it out there for everybody to see and say, hey, I'm so thankful to be a part of the body that does this often. And I read through it and I said, oh my goodness. This goes exactly, I mean perfectly with this point right here, this thing you can't miss in this passage of Scripture. So let me read this to you and see if you don't agree and see if the Lord might not speak to you and encourage you to listen to Him when we come together corporately. And it's by John Stott. He wrote this. How absolutely radically different it is when both preacher and people are expecting the living God to speak. The whole situation is transformed. The people bring their Bibles to church. When they open it, they sit on the edge of their seat and they are expecting God to speak. They are hungrily waiting for a word from God. The preacher prepares in such a way that he's expecting God to speak. He prays beforehand and in the pulpit that God will do it. He, he, he reads and expounds the text with great seriousness of purpose and when he's finished he prays again in this great stillness and solemnity when his message is over everybody knows that God is present and has confronted his people with himself can you believe God did that this week that would show up on Instagram when I'm preaching through this text can you believe that what an accident not at all this was the attitude of Cornelius and his family and his friends and, the, and, and, and Peter we'll see as well. Is this your attitude? Did you come expecting to speak to hear the Lord speak this morning to you, through His word? I did. And I hope you did as well. And let me say this: He's speaking. Are we listening? And I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about his word. He's speaking. He's speaking just like He spoke to Abraham, just like He spoke to Moses, just like He spoke to all the prophets, just like He spoke to the apostles. He's speaking just as true today as He was then. That's what we believe about the Word of God. It's His Word. Well, let's move on and and keep listening to God here in our passage. Look at verse 34 with me. Opening... Peter said I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality but in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him the word which he sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ he is Lord of all Peter knows now that God has sent why God has sent him is to bring the gospel to the Gentiles boom his question is answered and he's ready to go Notice what he calls this message that that went first to the sons of Israel, it says, and now it's coming to the Gentiles. He calls it the message, peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Peace through Jesus Christ. It's the message of peace through Jesus Christ the Lord. And and why does he call this the message of peace? Well, we learn if you read chapter 5 of Romans, that before we come to Christ and those outside of Christ are enemies of God enemies of God. Now some of you, oh, come on. No, that's the truth. That's what the scripture teaches. Outside of Christ, we are enemies of God. And the reason is is our sin condemns us before God. We're walking in our own way. We're not going to turn to God. We're living for ourself. Now, we may never say, i I'll hate God. But if you're living for yourself and you're not trusting in Jesus, you are, living for, you are living against God's will. You're an enemy of God. That's what the Scripture teaches over and over again. However, look what Paul writes at the beginning of that chapter in Romans 5.1. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we are at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. It's the message of peace. It's peace with God that comes through being made right with him through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the message that Peter is preaching. So let's look now at how Peter explains this message of peace through Jesus Christ the Lord. Look at verse 37. um, And we'll read down through 43. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea. And let me just say this, that what happened with Jesus was not done in the dark. You go over here when we looked at the Gospel of John. They hung him at the corner of Beltway 8 and 288. So everybody could see him. It wasn't done in the dark. It was done in public. And they knew that. Everybody in this region knew about that. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea. Starting from Galilee. After the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are our witnesses of all the things he did both in the land of the Jews and and, in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Wow, what a message! What a message that Peter just gave this group of Gentiles gathered together in Cornelius' house. So I'm just going to help us summarize the message of peace through Jesus Christ that Peter presents here. And I want to, I want to do it in seven words. All right, seven, I could have picked seven different words too. And this maybe just helps spur your mind on as you think about this passage, okay? The first word is preparation. And you see that in verse 37. And it speaks of the baptism John proclaimed. Now, we're not sure how they had all these details. Maybe Philip um, had, because of his his, his his evangelism and taking the gospel out, it got into Caesarea or gotten got other people. We do know that Cornelius obviously was at least a God-fearer, that he had heard about the God of the Jews, the God of all the earth, who created everything, and, and, and probably had heard about Jesus at this point, but somehow they had this information that had spread to them. So... Um, but 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 John the Baptist—they understood who he was. Peter says that the dead did, so they did. So John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, probably better. Okay. Um, his ministry and baptism were preparation for the coming of Jesus and the beginning of the new covenant. It was prophesied that he would be that. And sure enough, he comes and he says, that's why I'm here. I'm just, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. I just came to tell you, he's coming and you better get ready. Your hearts better get ready because the Messiah is coming. That was his ministry to prepare the way for the Lord. To make ready the way of the Lord Jesus Christ to come. So you see this, there's this preparation that goes on. The second word I want you to think about is confirmation. In verse 38 again it says, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. What was that? His baptism. Jesus' baptism. Did Jesus need to be baptized? Well, not in the sense that we need to be baptized. It, was to, it says he did it to fulfill all righteousness. Right It was a time, it was in, in Jesus' life, he's going to be going his public ministry, and, and God confirmed, God the Holy Spirit confirmed by descending like a dove, and God the Father affirmed by saying, "This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased." They have both affirmed, but two, the other two parts of the Trinity affirmed that Jesus was the Messiah. He was Lord of all. That's what they did. They, they confirmed that through his baptism as he began his public ministry. Right? And not only that, it says he, he, he went about doing good and healing all who, oppressed, who were oppressed by the devil before God was with him. And the, that mention there of those things is also confirmation of the fact that Jesus indeed was the promised Savior because the Messiah would perform miracles that had never been done before. And that's what he's referring to. He was confirmed to be the Savior of the world. Remember John said when he saw him coming, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the, fa- the Father and the Spirit, this is Him. The things that Jesus did and said, this is Him. It all pointed to the confirmation that He was the Messiah to save the world. So the third word I want us to look at is the, this, the word cross. Verse 39, 39 says, They also put Him to death by hanging Him on a cross. What is the significance of the cross? It's kind of a minor point in the New Testament. It's hard to ever bring it up. Right? The cross... Yeah, it's all over the place. It's the the essential theme, the main theme throughout the whole New Testament. In reality, it's the main theme throughout the whole Bible, beginning in Genesis 3.15. And all the way through, it's about what would happen on that cross, on that tree. And there's many passages we go to in the New Testament to talk about that. I thought this would be the best one this morning. In Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. What was the curse of the law? Because all the law could do is say, You're guilty. You're guilty. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, "Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree." He had become a curse for us; those who deserve to be cursed and condemned and damned by God because of our sin. It says that Jesus became a curse for us. Another way it says it in Second Corinthians five twenty-one: He made him who had no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteous of God in Him. The cross they hung him on a cross yes but all part of God's predetermined plan as we learned earlier in Acts 2 on a cross to be a curse for us To take the condemnation that we deserve. The fourth word I want us to remember here in what Peter says is resurrection. Look at verses forty through forty-one again. God raised him on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen before God beforehand by God. That is to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. What is the significance of the resurrection? First, let me say he really did rise again bodily. Bodily. It wasn't a ghost who appeared. How do we know that? Well, many other places in the New Testament, but even right here in our passages say, those who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. A pure spirit being can't eat and drink. He, had, he rose bodily, in a glorified body that is, but he arose bodily and that's important it's taught all through the New Testament but here's a way to maybe sum up the importance of the resurrection in the New Testament 1 Corinthians 15 7 and if Christ has not been raised your faith is worthless you're still in your sins well, would you say that might be important? you bet it's essential he had to raise again he had to rise again from the dead and, 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 and his resurrection proved that he was Messiah and that the father had received the payment for sin and he was Lord of all resurrection is essential so Peter includes that in his message to these people who are wanting to know how to be saved. The fifth word is, is the word judge. Verse 42 says, And he ordered us to preach to the people, and solemnly testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. The fact that Jesus is judge points to the fact that everyone is, help me, guilty. That's the judgment. Because it says in Romans 3.23 that. Some people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Now know what it says in Romans 3.23? You know that by heart. Some people have sinned. Does it say some people or does it say what? It says all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't meet God's standard. And we stand before the judge of all the earth, Jesus Christ. We're guilty. And, and he loved these Gentiles enough to tell them the truth. You're going to stand before the judge. He's the judge. Caesar's not the judge. Jesus is the judge. And you'll stand before him one day. And you are guilty. And if we love people, if we really love people, we'll let them know that they too are guilty before a holy God. The judge of all the earth has already struck his gavel and says, You are guilty. Well, the sixth word I want us to think of is the word fulfillment. In verse forty-two, he says, "Of him, all the peoples bear witness; all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin." This message is not a new message. This is not the, when 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 Jesus came on the scene. It wasn't a new message. It's something meant all through the Old Testament. All the prophets thought about it, talk, talked about it. When Jesus died and rose again, and the apostles began to spread, it wasn't a new message. It's been a message that's been around from the beginning of time after man sinned. That Jesus would come and die on the cross for sins. The prophets spoke about it. We can look at many places in the Old Testament that talk about the fulfillment of Jesus, of these prophecies. But here's one from Isaiah 53, 11. By his knowledge, a righteous one, my servant will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Just as it says, that he who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. That's what Jesus came to do. Bear their iniquities, bear their sins. The seventh word. Um, I've I got to cheat here. All right. Four words. All right. The seventh four words. Okay. Here we go. Faith in the Savior. That wasn't great in math. That's okay. Faith in the Savior. Faith in the Savior. You could just say faith is the word there. Verse 42, we just read it. Everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sin. Yes, he died to pay for sin. But you've got to respond to that. You, you must respond to the offer of forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. You, you can't just sit there. So I'm going to give this gift to, to Josh right here. And what does he need to do to, re- to, 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 to receive the benefits of this gift? He's got he's to receive it. He's got to take it, right? And, and by faith believing it's actually going to benefit him. This is a really nice Bible. All right, but I'm going to take it back, okay? But the benefits of this Bible is great. Just to rub it's pretty nice, okay? But, all right, so when I offer it, he has to, he has to do something, right? He's got to trust that this will be a benefit to him. And Jesus is standing there and he's saying, this is a benefit to you. My life was given for you so you could have what? Forgiveness of sins because what? He's the judge. And we're guilty before the judge. And we need forgiveness of sins. But we've got to respond. And it's everyone who believes, everyone who trusts in his payment for sin on their behalf. Everyone who does that. Will be, forgive, be, for, be forgiven of their sin it says Uh, a great way to summarize this is in Ephesians 2 8 and 9 for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves is a gift of God not as a result of works so that no one should boast there's no work that you can do baptism won't save you we're going to have some people be baptized it will not save them it will not make them right with God because they get dunked in water doesn't do it coming to church and even saying hey I'm going to bring a lot of people to hear it too that does not make you right with God it does not save you from your sin Only faith or trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection for you will make you right with God. That's what forgives sins. Jesus forgives sins. And we trust in what he did on our behalf. That is great news. That we're judged guilty, and yet he sends Jesus to die in our place. And that's what Peter shared. Think Peter did a pretty good job? You bet he did. Perfect job. And this is, this is the message then of, of peace through Jesus Christ the Lord that he presents. Now look at verse 44 down through the rest of our passage here uh, this morning. Uh, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. All, all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed. This is the six converted Jews that came with him from Joppa who were followers of Christ now, but Jewish background. They were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. They went, oh! What happened? You go oh, look what happened. Verse 46. For they were hearing them speak with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse water for those to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And to order them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to stay on for a few days. These Gentiles evidently responded in faith. To the message of the gospel. To be made right. To be at peace with God through Jesus Christ. And it was evidenced by the Holy Spirit falling on them. Which was manifested in the same way as it was at Pentecost. You see this? Remember back at Pentecost. Acts 2. It's the Jews. And what happens? The Holy Spirit comes down. And the apostles and many others are able to speak in languages. Real languages of the world. Because these people come from all over the world. And real foreign languages speak. It was also prophesied that this would happen in many places in the the Old Testament. We have time to go in that, but they would speak foreign languages. It was a miracle. They never trained in those foreign languages. They had never spoken them before, and they were able to, to speak. It says the wonders of God. And the same thing happened here. Why in the world would that happen? Who are we talking about now? The Gentiles. Here's what God is saying loud and clear. It's not about your ethnicity. It's not about your bloodline. It's about Jesus, who came to die for every tribe, tongue, and people in the world. All kinds of people. All of them are different backgrounds. The Gentiles will not be second-class citizens. Hey, isn't that good news? We're not second-class citizens in the kingdom. We're, we're, We're right there. We're all together. Neither Jew or Greek, slave or free. We're all together and one in Christ. We're all saints, it says. Isn't that good news? We're all forgiven. We're all made the righteousness of God in Him. We're all justified, sanctified, being sanctified. One day we'll all be glorified. Nobody misses out on that when they're in Christ. And that's what Jesus is saying, lying clear. exactly how it happened happen there. It's going ha- to happen just like this at the beginning and the coming of the gospel to the Gentiles, so we wouldn't have division in the church. Then mm. after responding to the gospel, And receiving the Holy Spirit. They were baptized. Because this is what those who follow Jesus Christ. Do in obedience. Is to testify. That Jesus is the Christ. That he is Lord of all. That he has forgiven their sins. And they publicly proclaim. By this act. Of baptism. What has happened on the inside of them. That's what they did. And we have no other. No other. No other. Let me say it again. No other. Record of that happening. Any other way. In all the Bible. That's why I believe in believers' baptism, because the Bible teaches it. It doesn't mean you're going to go to hell if you haven't been baptized as a believer. Don't hear me saying that. But if you know that's what the Bible teaches, it might say something about your heart if you refuse to. It also says something about your heart when you say, Hey, I'm in. I mean, we got a lot of I'm in people in our church. I love that. That's what the Bible says. Count me in. I mean, I don't understand all of it, but that's what the Bible says, I'm in. I'm in. Uh, This is a good crowd to be in. Okay, It's okay to be in the in crowd that wants to obey what Jesus says. And that's what happened. And then I love this last statement. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. I would have too. And this guy brought the message and the word of life to them that changed them forever. We're going to see that through the rest of the book of Acts. Okay, Peter, can you stay a little while longer? What else you got? And he says he stayed stayed a little while longer. Well, So what? So how do we think about how to apply this passage? Just the implications of this passage. Let me give you some exhortations here lovingly. Expect God to speak through his word. Individually as we read God's word at home, and we study, expect him to speak. As we come together every week, expect him to speak. When you show up, I'm expecting God to speak. That's what you ought to think. I'm expecting to hear from God today. And you will, will, because we're going to look at the Word of God. Secondly, invite others to hear God speak through His Word. Uh, be like Cornelius, and he wasn't even converted at the time. He just knew he going to hear a message of salvation. I want everybody I know to hear about it. Man, let's be like Cornelius. You know some people need to hear about the message of salvation? I do. Let's invite them. So they can come in here. And this is not the only place they can hear it. I understand that. They should hear it from you too, but if you don't want to do that, bring them here. We'll tell them. All right? Thirdly, tell others how they can have peace with God. It's a message of peace, isn't it? And people who don't know Christ are not at peace with God. We need to be telling them how they can have peace with God. Fourthly, call all who respond in faith to live a life of obedience. That's what Peter did right here. Immediately said, the Lord Jesus said, you need to be be baptized. They say, okay, we're in. He encouraged them to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Right there, as soon as they became born again, as soon as they had Christ living inside them, says, you need to obey him. And be baptized, one of the very first things that they could do in obedience, which is a fruit of their conversion. My prayer this morning is, if you are not at peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, this would be the day that you turn from trusting yourself and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ so you can have forgiveness of sins and be at peace with God. Isn't that great news? Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for using Peter to get your word to us, the Gentiles. And Lord, we're going to see this exact same thing happen that happened here. We're going to see some Gentiles get baptized this morning because they've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. So Lord, I I pray that Lord, we would celebrate the message of peace in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen.